Hey, what's going on? My name is DJ Artistic. I'm an internationally known DJ from Los Angeles, California, who has a deep love of music. I have experienced DJing events such as Nipsey Hussle's uh, Grammy nomination party, uh, Stevie Wonder's birthday party, Snoop Dogg's All-Star Weekend Party 2018, along with Issa Rae's birthday parties, and I even had a cameo on Insecure itself. I am joined by my co-host, EB. Man, that resume is pretty impressive. I'm EB, everybody, so I am a soul musicologist, self-professed. I'm a writer, blogger, and a content creator based out of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, you might have seen me going on tweets twitter you might have seen me on facebook you might have heard about me on a ricky smiley morning show steve harvey morning show or even read something that was in essence magazine about me but i have that in common with artistic we got this love of soul music and black cultures wait wait you said you were on um ricky smiley and steve harvey with the unsees so what, what happened on there like what was that about <laughs> I, I was i was on both I, I made a tweet about uh mary j blige and faith evans fighting at a white party in the Hamptons <laughs> and uh people picked it up and I remember my grandma calling me trying to figure out <laughs> what's going on <laughs> like why are they talking about you on the Steve Harvey morning show because she loves Gary I'm sure so wait that that fight really happened I don't think I heard about that one <laughs> it did not happen I was just trying to illustrate how people oh, okay. will hear something on Twitter and run with it so I made that up oh, and wow. of course they ran with it you prove your point then basically so I, I normally do yeah, that's how that's how it should go. So, so yeah, as you said, me and you definitely have that passion for music in common. So, I want to welcome everybody who's listening right now to the very first episode of our brand new podcast called Behind the Wheels. Each episode will engage in stimulating dialogue about music, culture, artists we forgot about, artists we love right now, and those artists on the come up. So, we're gonna go ahead and start this. Before we get into the show, we're gonna do a little bit of an icebreaker game. Just so you can get to know me and EB a little bit better. EB, I want to ask, uh, I want you to ask yourself a question, actually. If you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? Wow, 24 hours. Okay. I'm going to answer it like Teacher Moses on uh, her <laughs> song Last Day. Um, I'm starting the day and ending the day in South Carolina. I'm starting with my nephews and my niece. We're going to have breakfast because I feel like kids are most tolerable in the morning. Um, we can get that true. out of the way. <laughs> true, We're going to have true. breakfast and then I'm going to make my way to D.C. I'm going to go and get me uh, four wings with fries, mambo sauce on the wings, salt, pepper, ketchup on the fries. Ooh. My friends, we're going to go sit in the yard at Howard University. Some of my cousins or Malcolm X Park, one of the two, uh, we're going to play some music. We're going to eat our wings and our fries. We're going to cut up, have a good time there. From there, I might have to go down to the wharf in D.C. and party with the old heads, do a little go-go, shake mm, a little okay. something, okay. see something shaking. After that, I got to make my way back to South Carolina because I have to end the day with my grandparents, sitting on the porch, listening to whatever they want to listen to, watching them love on each other, talk about each other, and celebrate me and my last day here on Earth. I get it. I get it. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's very descriptive and I, I can ride with it. Um, I'm thinking you might have a private plane or something if you're going from Carolina up to DC within the same day and back, like. Hopefully. I mean, I, the plan was just to, you know, make that trip in the Honda Accord or something. But if <laughs> yeah. someone wants to loan me a private jet, it would make it easier. And then I'd get to spend more time with my people. 
True, true. I mean, I'm sure one of your connects might might be able to uh, loan that for you. I don't have one, but I mean, I mean, we, we you, might know. I some feel people. like you. Do. I mean, you know Issa Rae, so I, I don't mean, know. She got the private private yet. I'm like, uh, okay, she well, might. It, it might I be mean, on the way. I don't mind commercial <laughs> flights. I mean, I just need I just need it to be free. So that's my whole thing. I feel it. I feel it. So if you had the same 24 hours, what would you do? Since I'm a DJ and all that, I would have to have just one huge party. It would basically be a good, maybe a two-hour set so I can get to, you know, have enough time to play everything I want to play. One hour is not good enough. Within those two hours, I would basically just play all my favorite songs from all generations, all genres, just everything at one time. And maybe it would be at a huge park where all my folks could listen to it. I could have close, close friends, fans from out of town, whoever it is, all there vibing with me. And it would be where I'm... I would finally be playing what I actually want to listen to and I wouldn't be worried about, all right, let me make sure they're dancing. They'd be dancing anyway, especially if I'm in my vibe playing what I enjoy. So, I mean, that's that's the only option they have. So, after that, I would go to the backstage. The backstage would have to be catered by, uh, probably by, if not Blood Souls or uh, a John Q's Barbecues. It's something good, something real, uh, real black, real um, tasty and seasoned with some frozen <laughs> lemonade with a little bit of vodka mixed in it, something like that. And then after that, I'm heading to the house. Me and my close friends and family going to watch The Wood because that's just like, it's not the best movie ever, but it's the best movie ever. So I'm going to connect to that, watch that for the last time and say every single word right along with them. After that, I mean, I'll probably just like go to bed, put on some headphones and play my favorite uh, album to relax me, uh, Snoop Doggy style. And, you know, I'll be out of here. I'll see y'all at the crossroads with uh, Uncle Charles and all that. So... <laughs> that's that's basically yeah so first of all let me say i'm impressed that the wood is the movie that you would watch within your last 24 hours but also that your favorite album is doggy style like you are the most west coast person i've ever met in my entire life and i, I have to life. appreciate it i have to appreciate it i mean i mean it's one of those things it's like when i was listening to snoop i ain't really care where he came from because i was a, a bigger fan of heavy d before snoop so it was like in that moment, I ain't care where you was from, but just when Snoop dropped, that's just what we connected to the most, and that was a huge debut. So, as it's something that still resonates, and when it comes to the wood, I mean, my, my parents' first house was in Inglewood, probably three minutes away from where Mike grew up in the movie. So it's just one of those things that just connects to me the most. It's that, it's that lifestyle. For everybody who's listening, if y'all don't realize it, that little game was inspired by the uh, song "24 Hours to Live" by Mr. Mason Betha, featuring the Locks. Black Rob and and brand new but prime DMX. What, what was your take on Twenty Four Hours to Live? The song when you first heard it? Oh, uh, it was classic. It's it's it is a classic. It's a groundbreaking song. I think at the time Mace was probably as big as Drake was when he debuted. Every it was the yeah. most anticipated. Everybody wanted to know who this guy is that Puff has on Bad Boy, uh, and then he had the locks on there, which is huge mm -hmm. in itself. We didn't yet know Black Rob. It was before Black Rob went whoa. It so was, we yeah. we weren't we weren't up on it yet, but we we were getting there. But he had DMX, which is hmm. Yonkers in the building. I mean, it's uptown. It's it's uh, the prince, the king of the Rough Riders. Mace had him on this song. So you got all these guys on this one song, and at the time you could not go anywhere without hearing it. It was radio. It was uh, television. It was the bat mitzvahs. It was the cookouts. It was everywhere. Everybody yeah. wanted to talk about the 24 hours to live. Not even just the premise of the song, but 
the talent on the song. Mace, the locks, DMX. It's it's kind of one of those things that never dies. I definitely agree. And I feel like um, the thing about that is that like, like Mace and DMX were basically like the two hottest rappers at the time with different lanes, but still like thriving together. So it was it was never like a competition that people really compared. Who do you like more? It was just more so Mace had that lane as being the kind of pretty boy, kind of like how Drake is now, that kind of mm-hmm. pretty boy who can still attack because they used to call him Murder Mace. So he can still go off. He can still battle when he needs to. But overall, he's just the kind of fly player. He's from Harlem, so Harlem already has that flash to him. And then DMX, DMX was kind of like in that time the he kind of felt that void that Tupac kind of left, where it was that that thugged out sex symbol that the the women love, but the guys actually respected and wanted to be like. And he had those that kind of Gemini spirit, where it was like he could he had the the last song on every album was a gospel song, but everything else was straight up just vicious, just lyrical, or just talking about murder, robbery, all type of craziness. So. Seeing them two together on that song Connect was was as epic as it as it was right there. So that's one of those songs I haven't even listened to that in a couple of years. I might have to play that as soon as we finish. And for for everybody else who's listening right now, make sure that you uh check out we have a, a, a official playlist on Spotify. So if you want to check out that song along with everything else that we're gonna discuss today, check out that official playlist on Spotify so you can vibe out along with us. Also, make sure that you subscribe and we'll have a link for the show in the description for it. Next up, we have a segment called Beat Match. So how this works is that me and EB are going to pick two artists and put them head to head and basically argue and see who would come out on top in the battle. All right. So who are the two artists that we're going to debate this week? So based on just the conversations I've been I've been uh, having and seeing around on social media, people have been mentioning things like Usher and Chris Brown, which is kind of a weird generational one. I've been seeing a couple debates. People have been saying they should be Mary and Faith. Personally, I don't think that's a good one. I mean, Faith has a good solid 10, 12, like strong songs, I would say. And she's a better singer, but Mary is just way too legendary. And she basically broke that lane open for Faith. So I don't think that's really a fair matchup. So I'm really thinking about another one I've been seeing. I've been seeing people mention Mariah and Mary. And I'm thinking maybe we can uh, go at that one, uh, Mariah and Mary. So Mariah Carey, Mariah the Carey, and Mary the J Blige. The J Blige, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. I mean, um, I think I know, but who who you got in that? <laughs> who would you pick? Okay, so you're gonna let me pick first. And I know you know me, so you're expecting me to pick Mary. Of course. But since soul music is my thing, I am going to take you up on this challenge. And I'm gonna say I got Mariah in the argument. I think Mariah can watch Mary. In this battle. Wash. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. With that, of course, I, I roll with Mary. So each of us will have three minutes to make our, our case, three minutes or less. And then after that, we each have a chance to rebuttal at the end and make our case. And then we have a 30 second closing the argument. So our producers, Melissa and the lady, will be picking that winner. Since I picked who I wanted to go for, then why don't you go first? All right, all right, I roll with that. Okay, so here's how I see it. I feel like commercially, if you're looking at billboard charts, if you're looking at all that and just like pure number of sales, of course, Mary is a huge underdog. But the thing about these battles, any battle to me is not about that. It's about what really hits your soul. It's about not just what had the, the biggest impact and influence, but that along with what songs just resonate with you the most. So the thing with Mary, for once, when she came in the game, 
she basically had her own lane. She kind of created her, her her own lane to me. I feel like when she came in, it was she kind of made that bridge from New Jack Swing into what we call hip hop soul, and that's what a lot of artists followed, including Mariah. Like Mariah before Mary, she didn't really have a way to make a hip hop sounding soul or R and B hybrid type song. So a lot of songs we love from her came from Mary's influence. I'm gonna roll with Mary. I mean, think about Mary's hits. She has. Just Fine, which is one of her recent hits that just killed for all the... That's your auntie's favorite song. You're going to hear that at the at the wedding reception, at the funeral, the, the divorce party, whatever it is, at the, the kid's birthday, you're going to hear that. She had Not not Gonna Cry. Not Gonna Cry was just that anthem. I could play that in a, in a club five minutes after Juvenile, and the women just going to stop and sing along to that song and just go off with it. She had real love. I mean, that took them top top billing drums and just made a whole new a whole new style with that, basically taking a little bit of the elements you heard in New Jack Swing and putting the hip-hop drums with it, slowed the tempo down, and that plus the remix. If you want to add the remix in there separately, either way, she had My Life, where she's taking that smooth groove that she got from uh, Roy Ayers and just made that straight classic. She had the remake. She had the I'm Going Down and Sweet Thing that you can argue that her I'm Going Down resonates more than the original song. Sweet Thing, I'm going to still roll with Shaka, but I mean, period. That's, that's straight classic. She had those hip-hop uh, collabs like I Could Love You Better, that's just classic. As soon as you hear um, Lil' Kim with Tanisha and Rhonda, what? You hear that type of, you know, like, you're not touching that. She had the biggest song. I would say the biggest R&B song. It's probably a close battle between what Mariah had in the same year, I think, 2005, 2006 or something. But she had that Be Without You. Brian Michael Cox did his thing with that. And that's just one of those classics that you always going to hear. Even though people might say it's a cliche song, that's still a straight classic type track. And when it comes to battles, you can use the features. So, I mean, the features she has, Method Man, All I Need to Get By. I mean, you play that anywhere, that's going to resonate. Even on Touch Me, Tease Me, she's on the chorus to that type of song. So, if you want to just be comical at the very end, I might end it with crispy chicken, fresh lettuce. You know, like, Mary has, Mary has some heat. So, I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm rolling with her if you want to be real. That's where I'm going. Okay. Um... That's great. Uh, I am the biggest Mary J. Blige fan I know, and all that is real cute. It's it's beautiful. Like, oh, that's cute. Okay. Um, all right, all right. You, you, you said something that I want to talk about. You, you were talking about how Mary broke the record, and she came in the game, and she created the lane for Mariah. Well, Mary depended on that lane. Mariah didn't depend on hip-hop soul to get put on. And, you know, she came out, and she's singing Hero, and you couldn't go to anybody's kindergarten graduation without hearing hero and all the girls are singing it at the talent shows and then after hero you you get a uh, like daydream and fantasy and you got odb you know she went to staten island and got a member of wu-tang and had him on her song and yeah the original was hot but by the time the remix dropped you could go okay. nowhere without that song and that video when they're on the pier at the amusement park it was that was a moment in time mariah did day uh not daydream she did butterfly in 1997 um and then she went to the east coast from the east coast to the west coast and now she's working with bone thugs and harmony i mean mary's not worked with east coast and west coast in that same way back to back and made it a hit like she just she don't have that then you talked about 2005. Okay, Be Without You was a great song, but now she is without Kendu. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, 
okay. does not matter right. that it was a great song. All right. All because right. Mariah also, not only did she have It's Like That and she had Shake It Off, but she had We Belong Together. And I would rather hear Mariah hit and hold a note than Mary look at a note. So I think when you talk about which of these vocal legends as if you want to call both of them that i'm just giving mary her flowers but um when you talk about which of which of them will win in a battle my money is on mariah because mary is a very niche artist like she depends on hip-hop she depends on that soul mariah is giving you pop she's doing gospel she got the hip-hop soul that mary opened the door yes but mariah kind of perfected it and Mariah's had so many number ones that she had to release a greatest hits album called Number Ones. I I think that in itself says that no matter who you are, in which corner of the globe you resonate from, Mariah is the overall winner in a beat match. And you can't beat out her class. You cannot you cannot beat her voice, but then you also cannot beat uh, her ability to be a chameleon and do both hip hop, R and B, and then take it to the pop charts. Like that's just something that Mary can't give you, but I love her. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean that you had some adorable points right there, you know, pretty adorable, <laughs> I, I must say. So, I mean, yeah, if you're talking about vocals, of course, I'll get that to Mariah all day. I mean, she was basically like junior Whitney when she came out and she kind of found a different lane that, that worked for her. But I still feel like when, when it just comes to songs that resonate, like even with all the number ones that Mariah had, it's where number ones, I guess, don't always mean everything because a lot of number one songs come and go. And it's like, even when you mention her songs like a hero, you play hero next to not going to cry. I mean, which one going to have the, the black women singing the loudest? That's that's how I judge it when it's a battle. That's what's going to hit. So that's just the way I feel about it. I mean, I feel like the black women right now need a hero and we have one in Kamala Harris. So... <laughs> Um, please I vote, feel like please vote. It, please vote, yes. Please please go out and vote. I, so I feel like if you play Hero right now, I feel like everybody in the building is going to go up because not only do you remember it from your preschool graduation or when you was in middle school at the talent show, but at this time in our country when we need a hero and here, <laughs> here, come, here come Kamala. I mean, I do agree that we, we need a hero, and I think the hero in this battle would be Mary... Uh, Mary J to the Blige. So, I mean, you know, that's enough from us. I say we, we're going to go ahead and let our producers, Melissa and the lady, go ahead and pick the winner. So, I think based on these arguments that Mariah is the winner. At first, I was thinking if, like, yeah, when you're thinking about for the culture, I have a lot of moments where Mary really resonates with me. I feel like she was super impactful. But there's so many things that uh, Mary did that Mariah also did and did it took it to another level. So plus I just bought Mariah's book last week. So, you know, and then the EB, uh, he just closed the gap with that whole Kamala and voting and hero. Yeah, like he yeah. just put a bow on that. So I just, you know, had to go with yeah. that. So to go off of that, when Kamala made her acceptance speech at the Democratic Convention, she actually used Mary's Mary. song. Oh, oh, hold she, up. Indeed, hold she up. did. Hold indeed, up. Hold up. indeed, uh -huh. worked out. Okay, okay. But uh, I, 
as far as like hero goes, I did not sing it in a talent show, but I did sing it at an audition for a musical. Keep in mind, I hey. can't sing a lick at all. I'm not a singer. I'm okay. the only person on this call that's not on this podcast that's not a like professional in the music industry. And so I'm just okay. going purely based off like being a fan. I love Mary. I do love her, but I think Mariah got this one. Alright. Sounds right. That sounds right. I knew it. Okay. Um you know, I think back to my childhood in South Carolina <laughs> and I think about all of the times that people told me that I could never win anything. Hey, cut his mic off. <laughs> and here I am, the winner of this beat match, because I knew, even though Mary, I am the biggest Mary fan that I know, I keep saying that, but Mariah is just otherworldly. Mariah is a diva, and Mariah is Mariah. Like, she is the butterfly. She is the elusive Chanteuse. She is whatever she wants to be, no matter what day of the week. Mary's great, but Mariah is greater. And um, I like to thank um, our judges. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, because all right, all right. I never thought I was going to win. <laughs> but here I am, standing here, like the hero that Mariah wanted me to be, with the strength to carry on. So thank you. Thank you, ladies. All right. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> so since we since we got that out the way, that got a little bit heated. That got a, lot, a little bit heated, but you know, congratulations you, and all you. that. If y'all listeners, if you all have would like to have a say in who we beat match next, go ahead and send us a tweet at DJ Artistic. That's DJ R T I S T I C and E B for Press. That's spelled E B for the number four P-R-E-Z with the hashtag behind the wheels pod behind the wheels P-O-D. I want everybody to li listening to know that that's beat uh, spelled B-E-A-T for anybody that didn't get the musical reference there. Like I just beat B-E-A-T artistic in that battle. Blah, Blah whatever. <laughs> all right. All right. Guess I'll take that L even though whatever. Anyway. Anyway. So so getting back to it, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for y'all. And when we get back, we're going to go ahead and discuss cancel culture. We're going to discuss the artists you may have forgotten about, along with some newer artists that you should know about. I'll see you all in a second. Thank you all for listening to Behind the Wheels. We would love it if you could just take a moment to let us know what you think by rating us and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. This will also help other people find us, too. So we're back, and this next segment is called The Drop. This is where our listeners will write in a topic, write in with the topic, I should say, that they would like for us to discuss. It goes, DJ Artistic and EB, let's talk about cancel culture. And no, I'm not just talking about getting annoyed with an artist that blew up too fast and saying that they annoy you now. I'm talking about beating a woman, allegedly touching little boys and little girls, or shooting somebody in the foot before telling them to dance. Do y'all think that cancel, canceling culture actually exists or is it just temporary? Also, should we separate the artists from their art and still appreciate their art? And then they say, sincerely, I'm not telling y'all my name because I don't need trolls coming after me. <laughs> I mean, I feel you on the trolls. The trolls are going to be on you and us either way. Do you think cancel culture actually exists? 
I think uh, cancel culture exists, but it's different for everybody. I think hmm. some people, for some people, um, they can cancel someone forever and not listen to them, not support them in any way, shape, or form. But for other people, as evident with the Tory Lanez shooting and then dropping an album and streaming, <laughs> his streaming numbers yeah. went through the roof. Like for some people, yeah. that doesn't exist. I think we all pick and choose who we cancel and for what we cancel and even for how long we will cancel them because huh. I have a hard time uh, even thinking of anyone who has been permanently canceled and a permanent cancellation to me is something over 10 years because, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know R. Kelly right now is canceled, but yeah, yeah. in 10 to 15 years, will he still be canceled? Will we not be listening to his music or things that he has written? Will we not listen to Tory Lanez ever again? I mean, some of us never listened to begin with, but True. those that's just those of us with taste. Um, <laughs> is, wow. is that is that something that we're gonna we're gonna hold against him forever? Um, I think even looking back at our past, like Rick James, people forget the same people that cancel R. Kelly, Rick James kidnapped and raped and tortured a woman twice. And, um, you know, Super Freak come on or, you know, anything me, Rick baby, James, yeah. you know, give it to me, baby. It, even if the Chappelle show episode featuring Rick James comes on people, it's the funniest thing that people um, yeah, yeah. like, you know, it's just something they can't not talk about. So I think for cancel culture to actually be something that we uh that we make permanent, we have to stop selectively choosing who to cancel and when we cancel them. I think for everybody is different because of course, you know, everyone's transgressions are different, but we can't hold one artist to a ridiculous standard that we are not holding everyone else to. I basically agree with everything you said about that. Um, I feel like it's a very complicated argument and it's a lot of things that go behind it. I feel like it's the fact that for one, it depends on who the artist is and how much people love them, how long they've been around and the generation that it happens in because each generation changes. Each of the more recent generations are a lot more sensitive and aware about things and social media culture alone just makes it where whatever you do, it gets mm. exposed right away. So it's like, it doesn't go away. And, even if it's an artist from 30 years ago who did something, like the uh, listener already mentioned, as far as the trolls go, you might mention Rick James, and there is going to be that one troll out of nowhere. <laughs> we might not be saying anything, and they come and say, like, y'all discussed him, he did this and that. And we're like, all right. So, so that's what makes it kind of complicated. I feel like with R. Kelly, he was just too arrogant. And it's like, like I'm not saying this in any way to defend him at all, but he could have possibly survived everything that happened if he had not been so foolish and arrogant and just stuck in his ways because technically people forgave him for what he did with Aaliyah. They almost just swept it under the rug. I mean, they technically did. Like, I heard yeah. about it on the radio. I mean, I was young, but, I mean, I was too young to realize how bad it was. I was only, I think, 10 when he married her, but I'm 10, she's 15, and he's 27. She's older than me to where I, I still don't see the huge, huge issue as I do now. Being 30 plus, it's like, okay, that's totally disgusting. But obviously the next year he still had hits. I think he had, I believe I could fly the next year and people just did not care about that. And then he had the whole tape when he had the sex tape 
that came, it was a big topic, but it was more so a joke. It was more so people at the barbershop selling the tape. It was one of those things that we were in high school, so people in high school, hey, you saw the tape, and hey, you saw how old you think she was, and, and they're talking about the performance more than how disgusting it was. So it's like even the adults didn't care because he still had all the artists he was working with at that time. He dropped Ignition that next year, and that was the biggest song out. So people just really <laughs> did not care, and he got away with it, but he just kept on doing more and more and more dirt. And now now within this current culture, it's where whatever you do gets exposed and people are not going to be so forgiving. And that's where he messed up. And I mean, I'm happy that he is canceled. He should have been canceled a long time ago, but it makes it even harder because people love his music so much. I mean, he's still arguably the biggest male artist in the last 35 years, I would say. Like Usher is the close second, but because he's a writer and producer, he still has that edge. And that makes it more complicated even because with that, it's like, so if you cancel R. Kelly, how far do you cancel him? For me, DJing is like, do I not play Changing Faces, Stroke You Up? Because he produced it and wrote it. And it's like, he's not singing the entire chorus, but he has the ad-lib. I don't mind. And I might just jokingly mute that part and sing it on my own so you don't hear his voice. But it's like, <laughs> I guess I get a pass for playing that. But then can I play Fucking You Tonight with him and Biggie? It's like, that's technically Biggie's song, but he's on the chorus. Does that mean I could play his verse and skip the chorus. The same with Nas Street Dreams. Then with Aaliyah, it's like, it's kind of unfair to not play Aaliyah because of what he did, but it's like, he is the one who wrote it, produced it, and he's the one who still gets paid from it. So it's still a very, very tricky argument with him. As far as like with a Tory Lanez, I feel like, it's funny that you say that people with taste don't, don't really care for him anyway. I would say it's generational, but crazy enough, he still is around 29, 30 years old. So it's like, he's still old enough to be considered you know i mean he's close to drake and them's age but he appeals more to the young the young audiences and i feel like i am happy that he finally got charged because even before he got charged a lot of his fans were saying well he's not charged or how do you know that uh that that she's not lying and they're trying to defend him and it just shows it's a huge split between who you like and who you don't because i would say a third of his his true fans probably don't like him anymore but he still has enough fans to make him go number one just because controversy sells and because it's still a lot of men out there who are misogynistic about things, and they still want to side with him over Meg. So I can't ride with that. And then comparing that to Chris Brown, because a lot of folks are comparing it directly to Chris Brown, it's, I mean, I don't like getting into it too much, but it's tricky because, like, with me saying Tory Lanez is 30, Chris was 19, and that's not any excuse. That's still an adult. You still get charged the same way, but knowing his history, knowing most of the abusers' histories, they all have complicated past, and and rough childhoods, but that's never an excuse. But still, with him being 19 and him doing what he did before cancel culture really kicked in, and with, like, you know, it was before social media was a huge thing. Like, 09 was right before social media really took off. And, I mean, everybody basically gave him those sob story uh, tears when he when he cried on BET, when he performed that next year at the BET Awards the and Awards, broke down. Yeah. yeah, that got a lot of sympathy for him, whether it was staged, whether it was fake. A lot of folks did end up riding with him with that. So it's like... To me, that's it. Just kind of shows it's, it depends on who you like the most. He, I mean, the women liked him so much at that time, they gave him a pass. Even if they were Rihanna fans, they were trying to blame her and say, "Well, maybe she abused him too, or she she's from the islands. Island girls are crazy, so maybe she got hype and she hit him hard enough first, and he was trying to drive." So that's that's a huge issue. And I mean, before we uh, wrap this one up, um, it's also a thing about cancel culture versus criticism, and a lot of times with artists it can kind of get conflated because just having criticism might, that's a, a, a different thing. Like we criticize 
uh, Pharrell and Snoop for some of the things that, that they've done. Like, what do you feel about that as far as criticizing someone versus actually canceling them? I think there's a difference. I think sometimes when we criticize people, we're just holding them to a certain standard, um, uh, an honor code, if you will, for certain people. Uh, I always think about Chrisette Michelle because, yeah. yeah, she was canceled, but we were criticizing her for her political choices or choices that she made politically having to do with the inauguration of um I forgot the man that is in the White House. I forgot. He won't be there long, but I oh, forgot the, his name. The, the ugly dude, ugly cuz. Yeah. yeah, the orange guy, the orange guy. Um yeah. I I think, you know, she was criticized, but I think for someone who's a violent offender like an R Kelly or a Tory Lanez or even a Chris Brown, you know, it moves beyond criticism and you to a certain extent you have to just cancel them like i will admit there's still that one r kelly album that i can't quite let go yet oh, no. but i'm working on it like i'm trying at chocolate factory it just it it just goes uh, really this, hard it, this, it just uh, i right. i i mean no <laughs> seriously i really i'm trying but um like but i still listen to chrisette michelle and yeah. i think for her most of what was done was she was criticized for making what we thought was a bad choice. I'm not saying that it was the wrong choice. I am saying that it was the wrong choice, but she wasn't canceled in the same way that an R Kelly or a Tory Lanez should be. Yeah. I mean, it feels like some folks actually did cancel her cause she hasn't been as, as spoken about since then. But overall, I do feel like she should get a bigger pass because I mean, Kanye was a bigger Trump supporter than her and they, people still ride with him. For everybody who's listening, if there's anything in the music industry that you would like to discuss, once again, go ahead and email us at behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. So this next segment is going to be called Rewind. We're going to go ahead and rewind back to some artists that you may have forgotten about. Give me an artist or two artists, whatever it is that you feel people have forgotten about. I have two, um, and it's the perfect segue from the R. Kelly conversation. Um, I've been spending a lot of time with Sparkles. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know who Sparkle is, she was oh, yeah. a protege of R. Kelly, so to speak. But I've been spending a lot of time with her debut album. And I listen to the album now. And I'm not saying that Sparkle was going to be a Mariah Carey or even a Mary J. Blige or even a Tony Braxton. But hmm. she made very solid adult contemporary R&B music. Like she made music for the regular everyday woman in her late 20s to early 30s so like arguably the biggest consumers of music i think the r kelly affiliation hurt her a lot i think mm -hmm. even him not even being featured on he was featured on one song but that one feature kind of did her in i i think about it a lot i don't know why she didn't go further than she did i don't know why outside of R. Kelly, like people were not checking for Sparkle in the same way that I was. And then mm -hmm. I think the other artist <laughs> that I've been thinking about, it's actually a group, Coffee Brown. Coffee Brown, yeah, yeah. Coffee Brown had After Party and in the early 2000s, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing After Party. When I first heard After Party, I thought I was grown. Like you couldn't tell me <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I was not the man and I wasn't going to take over the world. And I'm still working on that. But- <laughs> Coffee Brown had that after party. Then they had Weekend Thing. Weekend Thing, yeah, yeah. And Weekend Thing was not as big of a hit as After Party because After Party never died. After Party still goes, and I'm sure I you as a DJ know. Yeah. yeah, like you know. But um, even Weekend Thing, Weekend Thing was great. Yeah. Um, 
I bought the whole album, Mars Venus, and I still listen to it. I think there was a very specific sound that they possessed at a very specific time in the early 2000s. I can't think of any other male, female group, first of all, but I can't think of any hmm. groups recently that had made that huge of an impact with that one hit outside of like a destiny child. Like I can't think of a group that's coming out. You have this duo, this man and this woman an after party hit. Yeah. And it was, it is nonstop. It never stops because we are still in that after party. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, I would say for that era, I always call it like the, of course that's, that, that's like the prime grown and sexy, like that type of sound where it was that upbeat, that two step, that kind of, Neo soul ish R and B with a little bit of hip hop to it type of feel and I would say After Party is definitely a top three song from that era. That's that whole KG KG did that and that whole era he had with the he made a couple songs as clones of each other. He had the Wifey and the Just in Case. Those were the same exact song to me. Same song. That's the same songs I deal whatever and that goes along with that whole um, Dance Tonight Lucy Pros in that same era. Yeah, kind of the same a similar group because they both came out around two thousand two thousand one. Yeah. Male and the female. And I did hear something from somebody in the industry. They did tell me why Coffee Brown didn't work. And basically, I mean, it was just politics. There was some politics and some industry type stuff that we can't go all the way into. But overall, it was it was where I feel like they could have had a much a much more sustained career. I remember hearing that album a couple months ago and some songs on there were super 2001 where they were very. It was that era where like R&B singers were getting comfortable cussing. And they're getting comfortable, like, singing stuff that rappers would rap about. So mm -hmm. that's calling women the B-words and all that. So some of it was a little bit like, all right, it's a little bit of a clash from what the, the main single portrays. But either way, I don't think it would have turned off too many of their fans. But that is one of those groups that you have to be there in that moment to know who they were. Like, I'm thinking that younger crowds probably know the song, but it's more so. That's my mama's favorite song from back in <laughs> back when I was five or something like that. So it's it's that type of vibe. The artist that I would like to mention is weird saying they're forgotten about, but they kind of are. I would say immature. Immature, mm. a.k.a. IMX. So the thing about um, about immature is that they're kind of a timestamp group. It was the, one of those things that everybody knows Marcus Houston and a lot of younger folks are probably who probably are just now watching Sister Sister see, oh, Batman, and they probably recognize that's Marcus Houston. And I think a lot of the younger folks know them more so as being connected to B2K. And what's funny about them in B2K is that um, I was going to high school with a, with a dude who was a year behind me, and I was 10th grade, he was 9th. We used to talk all the time about music. He used to rap. He would try to battle me at Fox Hills and stuff, just on some fun, just ignorant high school stuff. And he told me, yeah, uh, I'm not coming back next year because I'm getting signed to a group that's going to be the next Immature. And I'm just laughing like, yeah, right, that was the biggest thing we had in the 90s, and he ended up being Lil Fizz in B2K. And they got way bigger than Immature, but it's like, looking back, they probably, Immature was probably the biggest group for the 90s, but they're not really spoken about. B2K had the whole Millennium Tour, so they still have enough relevancy. You still hear about Omarion and Fizz all the time. And then 80s, of course, you had no addition. Like, Immature was not as big as either of them, but for that time period in that mid-90s, they were the biggest. And it's, it's kind of funny that if you compare them to like a Soul For Real, Soul For Real was actually a little bit older. I didn't realize it because the, the lead singer was... The youngest one, he was tiny and the other four were a little bit taller. But so so for real came and gave us like gave us two classics that you always hear all the time. So I think some crowds probably think that um 
So For Real was way bigger than Immature, but nah, Immature was way bigger. Is this that So For Real had those two songs in 95? They came and went, but Immature had the On Our Worst Behavior, which was moderately successful, not too much, but they were on the house party. Then they dropped the Never Lie. They had the whole, the songs they had in 94. They came back with the Field of Funk. They had the We Got It. Then they even had the, the Good Burger song where they had they had uh, Kel rapping on it. Like, they they had some heat. Then they came back with IMX. And I feel like listening back to it, a lot of it still sounds pretty good. And, I mean, even with Meg the, uh, the Stallion, Meg sampled them on um, Big Old Freak. And I think most folks realize it, but it still gets associated more with being an Al B short sample or being even – an homage to um, 25 Lighters from Lil, um, who is that, um, Lil Keek, I think, from uh, Texas, because she's, she's from Houston. So, But that was a straight immature sample, and I think Sango has sampled one of their songs, too. I don't mind what's sampled by Sango, so that whole selection crowd knows that. So to me, immature is like a very unsung group. They're not totally forgotten about, but if you weren't there in that moment, you wouldn't know that they were as big as they were. Yeah, they were definitely, you compared them to, before it was New Edition and then after it was B2K. And I think yeah. the thing that uh, New Edition and B2K kind of had in common was that they dropped for a generation that was teenagers. So you had New Edition coming out and then you had uh, B2K coming out, of course, at different times. But then mm -hmm. years later, you have New Edition coming back together for, yeah. you know, the Home Again album. And, and their fans are now adults and, you know, yeah. they're not ride into a concert with mama and daddy they're not you know dragging their little sisters along to anything it's just them and i mean b2k kind of did the same thing you know i remember hating the idea of b2k or anything to do <laughs> yeah. with them because yeah. it was just every girl in school wanted one or all of them and wanted to be with them i remember my sisters having posters and ever you could not escape girls in high school or in, in middle school actually at that point with Fizz or Jay Boog or Omarion, like like written in their notebooks, like written on their <laughs> notebooks. It was like, okay, like, yeah. you know, I don't know what that's about. That's a little crazy to me, but if that's what you like, you like what you like. I think uh, then they came back with the Millennium Tour, which did not work out, unfortunately, but it was a great opportunity because then yeah. you had their fans who missed that moment in time. They missed that moment in their life, you know, when they were young and, responsibility less s they didn't have any like it was just like we live in our best lives and now they're adults and that man's in the white house so it's it's like <laughs> yeah. oh we need something to cheer us up let's go see what omarion them talking about omarion stayed on top like he yeah, yeah. he he was able to sustain a pretty successful career i think after b2k he did, he did. dissolved but the other members kind of faded and i think it's the same thing with immature you know marcus houston had outside projects you know he for sure he he was acting more than the rest of the members like you said they were in house party but they all weren't the best actors yeah they're um, just there yeah, yeah it was, they were just face. they were just showing face i mean <laughs> you know marcus houston stayed on top he kept his name out there i don't even remember one of their names honestly ldb ldb a little drummer boy and I that's think the one romeo or something romeo yeah. ldb yeah i, I yeah. always forget about ldb because i'm like what does yeah. that stand for like y'all didn't have any drums but um <laughs> no I, th I think immature is one of those groups that you had to be there to experience at that time and if you were not there then you would not even remember any of their songs not let alone like their biggest singles like i remember feel yeah. the funk was huge the funk, i remember yeah. lie again like <laughs> 
I just remember hearing that and me being sick to my stomach hearing it, <laughs> but girls hearing it and yeah. going crazy and they crying, oh, he lied to me again. And like, what is he lying about? Like, you're, you're a child. <laughs> okay. He's not lying to you. Like, yeah. you're not even supposed to say the word lie. Like, you say he's telling the story. That's, a, that's like, a bad word. Yeah, told, you can't even say it. Yeah, he told the fib. Like, immature, they hit at a certain time. And I'm not sure what did them in or why they are not as well remembered or even celebrated as other groups from that same time. Like none of the women, the women groups from that time are often, you know, very well celebrated. The men, mm, not so much. You know, there are some that have hits like you mentioned. We had High Five. Yeah, High Five. Yeah, So High Five, basically, it was like. After no edition, I feel like the boys had a had a cool run. They kind of followed off for no edition. Yeah. Then it was definitely High Five and Tony Thompson went solo. Had yeah. a great great project, but didn't really get that much love. But High Five had a strong two albums. Then who else was it that had a kind of teeny bopper type feel? Because they were I wouldn't count the Jody Seeds and the One Twelves and them. They were no, they're Jody older. Jody Seeds that's, that's older. too old. Intro yeah. was too old. I Intro, think, yeah, they were a little bit too old. Yeah, Port- they Portrait was talking too about old. stuff. Portrait. I yeah. mean, yeah, people don't really appreciate Portrait in the same way, but yeah, um, I agree. I think for male groups, then a lot of remembered and immature always gets like forgotten. Like even when you yeah. see people do the brackets of like the greatest male yeah. groups, you never see them. immature That's is true. never mentioned when people talk about even boy groups like little boys immature is rarely mentioned they'll say like jackson five they'll say new edition they'll say b2k but nobody talks about immature and i think a lot of times we forget how young they were at the time when they came out and i'm i'm gonna say it i think maybe their affiliation with chris stokes had something to do with why they aren't revered the way in that other groups are especially during the time when people started discovering who he was and hmm. what he had going on that was not ideal. Um, speaking of cancel culture. Yeah, um, cancel culture. So they, they got just kind of lost in that shuffle with, you know, being affiliated with the wrong people. You know, word association or name association is huge in the music industry. I mean, you work with the wrong person one time and it kind of changes the entire trajectory of your career. Yeah, it definitely happens that way, and that could be a big part of it. Yeah, with Chris uh, Stokes, the more and more you learn, the crazier it sounds. And, I mean, being a kid, it was where I can say one thing about Immature is that they didn't appeal to the boys at all the same way that you didn't like it. I didn't like them yeah, at all. I didn't all. I didn't hate them, but they were – it was it was interesting for us because being in L.A., I remember even going to Fox Hills Mall back in 95, and I was with my older cousins who were – if I was 10, they might have been 25, and – they're going crazy, like, oh my God, that's LDB and they got on hockey jerseys. And I'm like, y'all are older than them. Y'all, y'all care about this? But I remember even like I remember one of my one of my neighbors, like he he could imitate uh Batman Marcus Houston voice like extremely well. So I remember telling the girl at school, I was like, I had a crush on her, and I was like, Hey, you know, um if I get if I get uh Batman to sing happy birthday to you, like uh will you be my girlfriend? She's like, What? Yeah, I will. So I went home that 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 day. It was like hey, it's her birthday, and just fake and act like it. So we called her, and then and he, he's talking in his little fake Batman voice. Hello, and then she's like, "This ain't this ain't Batman. This ain't him." So sing something. He started singing, "I will never lie," and she just screamed and hung up. Then the next day at school, they all ran up to me like, "Was that really him?" 
I'm like, yeah, I told you, like, that, that's my that's my neighbor's, like, nephew. And I was the biggest man at school for the rest of the week. That's for that. She wasn't my girlfriend, though, so forget her anyway. But it just shows you the power of what they had at that time. They were really at that level. So Yeah, they so had that's, an impact, a huge yeah. impact. Yeah, they definitely did. Since we just took a, a walk down memory lane, let's go ahead and fast forward to the future and talk about some artists that me and EB think that y'all should know about. So, EB, who do you want to introduce to the listeners? Uh, I've been listening to this one girl lately, Snow Legra. If you see her, she looks like a mix between Sade and Amy Winehouse. I've been listening to, I think, uh, sometimes your playlist goes on shuffle. And I like to, you know, try to listen to a little new stuff. And I hear this voice, this one song, and I'm like, oh, who is that? And I see her name. All right, let me like it on Spotify. All right. A couple more songs pass. I hear this other song I really like. Let me see who is that. Again, it's her, Snow Allegra. I'm like, all right, I, I don't really know how to say your name, but, uh, you know, I like the album cover and I like I like the beat most of all. Yeah. But also, you, I could tell that there's a voice there. I think sometimes now, listening to new people, I'm, I get a little skeptical, like, can you really sing or is this like studio engineering? And she doesn't sound like everybody else to me. I think it's something that sets her apart. I'm not sure what that something is, but it's, you know, a special something that makes her sound different from, you know, listening to Top 40 Radio and when every song sounds the same. Yeah, she doesn't have that modern, like, trap type of influence. She's yeah, not, it's not that. Yeah. She's not trying to sing in trip, triplet cadence and all that, so, yeah. By being her and letting the audience gravitate towards her as opposed to trying to be something that she's not. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I've been rocking with her. I play... um. I think I want you around and whoa, like those mm-hmm. songs are just just a vibe. And they, I feel like, cause this new R and B era is different. It's like we grew up where if you're not on the radio, you're totally unknown. Oh yeah. And it's like it was a couple artists who you might have heard of, like if you're into into niche type of uh, scenes. So of course, like Neo Soul, you might have had like we've been talking about her, but we ain't gotta mention her like that. But like a Jaguar, right? <laughs> of course, we have like like those types that we um that we you know. That we heard about. Um, it was a couple others that that if you were really in the music, you might know about. Even like a um, what's my girl's name who did Heaven, uh, Adriana Evans type. Adriana Evans, yeah. yeah. So it's some of those. But overall, I feel like this generation is so much more open to R and B that is not on radio because radio now has just become hip hop and R. I mean hip hop and rap, and they claim to be hip hop and R and B, but the R and B they play will be that one song with the R and B hook that has a rapper or you know it's melodic or the rapper that's really, singing. Like yeah, the rapper that's singing. Yeah, exactly. It's it's rarely true R and B. Like R and B has been kind of like uh, like delegated to being on the uh, the adult contemporary stations only. So right, a lot of these new artists have a hard time hitting radio because they're too new for those stations, but they're too R and B and soulful for what you hear on the hip hop stations. So I would say the kind kind of the same thing for the artists I want to mention, uh, Devin Morrison. So have you heard Devin Morrison's projects at all? I have. I've heard, um, I think his first album I've heard, it was an album or a mixtape, but I heard um, that I really liked. Um, and I, is he the guy that works with Sadiq or is that somebody else? I know um, Adrian Marcel works with Sadiq. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I get them confused sometimes, but no, okay. I heard okay. I heard Devin Morrison. I like his sound as well yeah. because what sets him apart is that he's really singing. Like his voice is... It's it's a it's a strong voice for R and B, especially for men, because I don't think that men now sing in the same way that they used to. Yeah, he has that. 
it's a smooth like he's kind of a crooner like he's yeah he he, he never oversings he he knows his uh, limitations but it's it's always a vibe I feel like his uh, his album blew me away I found it from my homegirl um, Ashton she had posted going to a um, album listening party that he had about a year and a half yeah about a year and a half almost two years ago and I had never heard of him so I was just like whoever she recommends to me is always dope so let me listen to it and I was just blown away because it. It was kind of a combination of everything that I grew up and enjoyed listening to because surprisingly my household wasn't really an R&B household. Like the only R&B I really heard in the house was really Anita Baker. Um, if you count um, like whatever was on Q's Juke Joint, like that was kind of a mixture mm. of everything. But I grew up more gospel, um, jazz, and funk. So it was more on that than even soul and R&B. So here in Devon had those influences of the gospel, the jazz, along with the 90s R&B, like each song on his album, similar to how Bruno Mars did it, like each song kind of represents a different era. He has the title track, Bussin', which sounds like like a Jodeci track. He has one track that sounds like commissioned gospel. He has one track that's New Jack Swing, one sounds like D'Angelo, and it's like whatever he throws out is always dope. He has a couple songs with like Zoe, Zoe from Foreign Exchange. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so... He's the type of artist that whenever I see anything his name is on, I'm gonna listen to it, and it's always fire. Like I've never heard one song that was whack to me, so I'm I'm definitely a big fan of his. So um, for everybody who's listening, we put a couple of our favorite tracks from these artists up on our playlist on Spotify. So once again, go ahead and check out our our uh, Spotify playlist and tell us what you think about that as well. I think that might be it for this episode. Uh, we covered a lot of different things. Um, I appreciate y'all for tuning in. Of course, uh, before we head out. EB, go ahead and let them know where they can find you. Yeah, of course. I am on everything, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all social media platforms at EB4Prez. That's E-B, the number four. Prez is P-R-E-Z as in zebra. You can find me. He said he's, he's everywhere. He said he's on Black I Planet. Am, Black I'm Planet. Black Planet. MySpace. Me Hente. Me Hente. All, I'm, at, I'm everywhere. That's what I'm talking Worldwide. about. Worldwide. We, we all over. We got all bases covered, you know. So <laughs> as far as mine... um. Find me on Instagram and Twitter, especially on Twitter. We talking trash. We talking about music and sports all day, but especially music at DJ R-T-I-S-T-I-C. That's both Twitter and Instagram. And then I have the website, DJR-T-I-S-T-I-C.com. And I'm DJing live on Twitch, so tune in. Every Wednesday is Westside Wednesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Every Wednesday, twitch.tv slash R-T-I-S-T-I-C 310. And then um, on Friday and Saturday, every 8 p.m., I have different themes each and every week, but mainly it's House Party Live. So that's where you can find us at. Once again, I want to thank you all for listening to our very first episode of Behind the Wheels. Make sure to come back and tune in with us in two weeks. And once again, if you want to email us about any questions you might have, anything you want us to discuss, especially for the drop uh, segment, go ahead and email us at behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you all later. Yeah. Out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Munts and the lady Yahuma Sek. It's edited by Melissa D. Munts. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.